Welcome to Lesson Impossible, an exploration of educational innovation. I'm your host, Aviva Levin. As always, I'm chatting with educators of all types who are on the forefront of pedagogy are making effective changes to old practices. Your lesson, should you choose to accept it, is to debate which three characteristics are the ingredients for a great teacher. The special agents assigned to help you with this task are Agents Zaveri, Tedisco, Scanlon, Neely, and Levin. This discussion was originally recorded as part of Edupodlusa 2022. Edupodlusa, the brainchild of the Unprofessional Development Podcast, is an annual opportunity for educational podcasters to participate in a variety of events, like roundtables, poetry slams, debates, radio dramas, and game shows, over a period of a day. While you can find the entirety of Edupodlusa on the Unprofessional Development Podcast feed, I've chosen to share a few of the events that I took part in that I think might be of interest to my listeners. Prior to Edupalooza 2022, teachers on Twitter responded to the question of what the top three traits they thought made a great teacher, which led to some interesting and contradictory responses. Thus, this episode involves the five participants, me, Nick from the popular news communication podcast, Can We Please Talk, Tedisco and Mealy, who hosted the discussion from the humorous interview podcast, Unprofessional Development, and Jack from the satirical podcast, Educaos, reacting to the thread with some in-depth discussions about cultural awareness, humor, content knowledge, vulnerability, boundaries, and the concept of love for students. If you want to check out the thread, or the word cloud of the responses, which I mistakenly thought was called a wordle, you can find a link in the show notes along with links to the other participants, podcasts, and social media. Good luck on your not-so-impossible mission with the Edupodlooza Special Agents. So, guys, welcome to segment three of Edupodlooza. This is where we're going to be discussing what makes the perfect teacher, because obviously the way to do that is to go onto social media and to crowdsource it. So... Um, let's see what was the actual date that I put that out. So June 16th, about um, about a um, few weeks ago, I just said, what three characteristics are the ingredients for a great teacher? And then I told people that they would be discussed on Edupodlooza. And we'll try and give people um, shout-outs when we can. But um, we've got with us um, Aviva from Lesson Impossible and Jack from Educaos. And we might have Nick from Let's Talk About It, I think. (laughs) (laughs) The worst. Anyway. um, I would like to start and give a shout out to at Cebu the Goblin, who very first reply was wanting to clarify if it was uh, characteristics and not skills. And like that is just such a teacher thing to do. Oh. <laughs> I know when they said that I'm like uh, like okay, we're going we're going well, yes, let's 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 dig into the semantics, please. So we can <laughs> what, 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 By the what, way, what? I love some of the some of the names, some of the Twitter names for teachers. Mhm. Like I see bastard teacher. Yes. Great. 
we had bastard teacher on. He, he was he was a guest on um, one of our oh, episodes, by the way. Yes, he so, was. Yeah. It's it's it, it, it's awesome. Uh, some of the names that that people come up with, and I mean they they have no problem just putting it out there and flaunting it. Yeah, uh, f them kids. I've I've followed that person. Yes, um, that's a good one. <laughs> there are some there are some good names, and then you know, and then of course, um, then someone you know. I hate the ones where there's six numbers after after your name. Like, really, come on now. Like, like try harder. Okay. Yeah, yeah. Just you know, be creative. Right, right. There, there's there's a way there's a way around it. You don't need to you don't need to do that. So, um, so anyway, um, so there's three characteristics, and so as you're listening, I'm sure you're thinking like the three characteristics that you think are are um a great teacher, and so we're just gonna kind of like go through and kind of have like our takes or things that we see in common or things that we agree with or disagree with. And the two biggest ones that I see as I kind of scan are, are patience and empathy. And so it was amazing to me how many times I saw the word um, patience. And I, I really do believe that that definitely is a huge thing in a, in a lot of ways, um, for teachers. I mean, you just gotta have patience with so, so many things. And the, the, the thing that hits me with that is the amount of time it takes to do something is always a hundred times the amount of time it actually should take to do it. You know, <laughs> I, I, I'm like, I still remember the, my first year teaching. And, you know, I'm at the, I'm in the, the final two weeks. And so we're, we're reviewing for the final, right? And so what I've got to do, like in the past and actually in the last week is like review everything for the final. I'm like, Oh, so like everything we've taken a semester to learn, I can actually explain. And it doesn't even take me the full week. I'm like, I can explain everything that we've learned in probably two hours. And then the fact that it takes, like 18 weeks or not 18 weeks, like what, whatever it is. Um, you know, a, a lot of weeks, I'm not good at math cause I'm a math teacher. A lot of <laughs> yeah, weeks. I was say you're a math teacher. <laughs> I don't know. 15, well, I teach math and I weeks, whatever, one of my math whatever it is. It takes, it, 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 it takes a lot more weeks to learn something than it does take me to just go, Hey, I like, this is like actually what we're going to learn. And I can, I can do that in two hours. So I anyone else have any like, I think it's interesting. That's the way you took, Patience, because I think uh, the normal person, any anyone off the street, would take see patience as a characteristic of a teacher and think dealing with children. But you're taking it as you know the work you have to put in. You have to be patient to, to kind of see the fruit of that labor, um, right? And how much time it really you have to really put in, right? And how and how long you need to expect someone to actually we were talking in the, in the, in the first session in, in the round table talking about working memory versus learning memory and how patient how long it takes for you to get something that you know and is in and is in your long term memory that through their working memory into their into their long term memory along with all the other things that you need to get them to learn and it and it's like okay so i know what we're going to learn and and like even just one lesson it's like okay we're we're gonna learn what, for like even like a, a elementary school teacher, we're gonna learn how to do double digit addition. Okay, cool. Like we as adults, we could explain double digit addition in like literally like two minutes. But it's uh, I can take... do it quicker. Um, you add 
two digits, two, <laughs> two digits. There you go. Mila, like, you should just give me your face. Slow down. You're going to my limit. <laughs> yes. So how long did it take? <laughs> how long should it take an eight-year-old to learn how to do that? The, the, the answer is the rest of their life. Okay. And that's why teachers need to be patient. It's like, but look, I've done an example. This is what you do. You already know how to do three plus five and eight plus four. Now we're just going to do thirty-five plus eighty-four. Like, like, why is this harder? Like, Let me save you a lot of time. Teach them how to use the calculator first. Yes. <laughs> I had someone write exactly what I would have written down, which was at Doctor Azad, who wrote Stuart. Sorry. Stoicism, pragmatism, and perspicacity. Is, is that what you would have said? No, I'll just leap off, leap, leap, leap to your mind. Oh my! And, and it's paired right under at Jason Ablin with presence, attentiveness, and having a sense of humor. And then right after having a sense of humor is stoicism. So either Doctor Azad had a great sense of humor, or they have very contrasting. Teaching philosophies. Yeah. Yes, I lost more on my stoicism for for my solipsism, you know. <laughs> um, and I always thought too that like my understanding of perspicacity is that like there's an element of craftiness to it. Like, by the way, admin, if you use this as an interview question, and those are the the, the answers that you, that you um, <laughs> get from the person, the interview is now over. Okay. <laughs> Just say, I appreciate your time, and we'll get back to you and just walk out the door because it's done. Good gravy. Oh, my goodness. If that person ever taught my, my child, I would, I would um, like, do whatever I could to get them out of that class. Sorry. Um, sorry, Dr. Zad. Though, I, I think um, prag- pragmatism, especially in the school systems that we teach in, is a good skill or characteristic to have yeah. Yeah. and to, you know, do the best with what you've got. Um, and maybe they were not referring to stoicism as like, we understand it to mean just without feeling, but like the original philosophical stoic meaning. Yes. Yes. Dig up stupid. I don't know. I'm trying to redeem them. <laughs> yeah. Well, I, and this is just, and it's just me. This, this, this shows my bias, but to me, this is like, um, someone just saying, hello, I've got a PhD and I know how, the, I know how to big word with the big people. So that that's that's, I mean, that's, that's what, what that it sounds like. It's the way it comes off, right? I don't like people who use the smarts. Yeah. <laughs> yes, mean, I'd hate if my student had a teacher that had big vocabulary. Yes, yes. That's why I take my <laughs> kid down to the wharf <laughs> to learn having big vocabulary <laughs> and flaunting a big vocabulary, though. Yeah, they are yeah, two can, different things. Th- they are. They are. I, they I had are. A, a coworker. Um, who got forcefully, you know, pushed out of the school. Um, she just couldn't control the kids, but she, she used vocabulary much, much higher than what the students could really understand. And therefore all the kids acted out constantly. I mean, it literally flipped desks. They would do all kinds of crazy stuff, drew penises everywhere. Uh, <laughs> you, cause they didn't understand what she was saying. Right. Um, now, now- you need 95% of vocabulary in a given text or conversation the threshold for engagement is 95% knowing. Um, That's why I can't read the New York Times. <laughs> no, it makes sense. Yeah. 
and uh, and obviously like using kids need to be exposed to new words and and um and and stuff like that but you can't do it with just yeah you can't just string together them one one after the other to the point where it's just it just sounds like gobbledygook or like a um you know a master's thesis or a, or a doctoral thesis my there, we had a um I had a principal that, that that's the way their emails were. They would be using those kind of words all the time. Emails, you're like, oh my goodness, please, please stop telling us you're smart. Like we get it, but just we just we just get to the point, you know. So, uh, what uh, is your opinion on the drama goat ones with itness, defined as being with it? I like so, that. And, and that, also a guest on our on our um, our podcast at one yeah, point. Yeah, I, I had her on as as well. She has a good story. It's yeah. also uh, the first one I saw because I had to read it three times because I thought it, they wrote whiteness. Oh, my God. Yes, me too. Me too. <laughs> that's, a, that's a hot take. Yes. So I like the idea. I think that with itness or self-awareness of your lack of with itness, I think, yeah. are, 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 are one, of the, one of the other. But I do think that there, you have to have some kind of way – to connect with the kids. Now, I'm 53 years old. I can only spend so much time indulging in adolescent media. You know, I, I do dabble in it so that I'm not completely ignorant. <laughs> Excuse me. I do dabble in the talks of the dabble kids occasionally. So, so now every big word I, I say is going to come back on me. Is that what's, ha- is that what's happening? You think here? dabble is a big word? No. <laughs> I didn't know what you were doing. I thought you were. I was making it. fun of you for this idea of you're like, oh, I dabble in the youth culture. Like that's okay. the most unwith it thing to possibly say. <laughs> I guess it is. But anyway, I does dabble in the K-pop from time to time. <laughs> <laughs> yes, yes, I do. But, what is your know. favorite cheese to pair with your favorite YouTube star? <laughs> exactly. Yes, definitely. Oh my goodness, my daughter is so into this. So into some guy that's like trading pennies to get across the country or something like that, and she just wants to talk about him every single oh, I, day. I've seen that guy. Yeah. yeah, yeah. And apparently he's coming to our town. But anyway, but no, I do think that. Well, I wouldn't put it in my top three. I do think that, that that is a characteristic that allows you to connect with the kids and the kids appreciate that. And it opens a lot of doors, um, to kids being able, being able to, um, engage in what you're talking about. If they think that you are someone who appreciates them or understands them or, um, knows things that, ha- that has something in common with them. It's interesting because I actually, I didn't think of with it so much as like with the culture. To me, it was more about like presence and engagement. Like you've okay. got your crap together, basically. Oh, okay. Okay. I mean, I think that works too. Um, yeah. but I do think a, a withedness is, is culturally is, is necessary. Uh, yeah, I, I've been in two schools, one very affluent, the other not. And, uh, withedness, I think adjusting to the culture and the people you're around is super important. Um, even if you, you know, I know a lot of teachers don't always live within the community that they're serving. So being able to kind of settle into that community, I, I think that could fall under with itness as, as well. You kind of got to know the community that you're working with and the people you're working with and what motivates them, what doesn't. Um, nothing that goes along with humor as well. 
You know, some mm-hmm. places, some things are funny and other places it's not. That's true. That's you got to know, got to know so, the audience. Uh, sense of humor. So my, for my master's, my area of research is around improv comedy and uh, language acquisition. And there's been some like great studies into sense of humor in the classroom, which by the way is important, mm-hmm. but also can you teach student teachers like people wanting to join the profession? Can you teach them to be funny in the classroom? My mind like, is blown right now. Can like, can you teach a sense of humor? Yeah. So is it like ingrained or can you teach how to use it? Yeah. That's, that's an interesting I would, topic. I would say it would be very hard. I'd say if you can teach someone without a sense of humor, how to have a sense of humor in the classroom that you are doing, that you are a, a miracle worker. Yeah. That, I feel that, like that would be very difficult. Very well, difficult. I mean, there is, maybe not like teach somebody how to like make people like crack up laughing, but you can teach people to like laugh at themselves and take themselves not so seriously and help, uh, sort of create that in, in your classroom. I knew a principal who I know of, he's still an acting school leader, uh, who's also a part-time stand-up comic. And we used to talk often about the power of delivery. Um, but also that balance of like, how do you, cause he, I mean, he's, he's just, he's a funny person. Um, uh, and it plays well. Like, I mean, at least in conversations I've had, I haven't observed them so much with teachers. I want to really hear sort of how that lands on them. I imagine students probably appreciate it too, but there's definitely that sense of realism of like, it's not talking for talking sake, but like there's a way of sort of getting your point across and, and addressing what the points that are funny. I know for our coaches, we once had, I think twice we had an improv team come in uh, to do some training uh, along those ideas of, there's a balance between delivery, but also the ability to think on your feet, which is at, mm-hmm. at its core, like one of the things improv teaches you. Right. And in teaching, I see, I would see that as a huge benefit because there's this balance of, you know, how do you have a North star instructionally about where you're trying to get to, but re- react to the fact that you're going to have so many different ways to get there. And those changing tides are just based on, you know, where your students are on a given day. And like the ability to balance both is something like improv seems to kind of take us out of that education space and think of just different skills that could be possible there. Yeah, it, it's interesting in looking at improv and teacher development and the idea, too, of can you not just teach a sense of humor, but like having teachers let go of that control. Yeah. So I'm really big into like improv belongs in every subject matter, but the biggest barrier is never the kids. It's always, am I willing to see what happens with what my kids produce? Yeah. And I think you can teach teachers and that how to, um, let go of control and to, um, and to ease into, into doing that. And, and it is scary. It, it, it really is. I've like, you know, over the, over the years, I've like something we, we talked about that we didn't cover in the first thing that I was going to try and get to is I've changed my, um, grading practices this, um, semester and I've given kids so much control over the grade. They, 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 decide like their grades on both assessments and their final grade for the quarter and for the year. So, and giving kids that amount of control is like, I'm like, I don't know what's going to happen. I know people have told me it's going to happen. And most of what they told me did happen, but it was a very, very, um, you know, I don't have, I'll say it was scary, but thing to go through as well as sometimes when you, when teachers first get into, um, doing certain types of projects where kids are going to be doing some kind of project-based learning where you're giving a 
very broad um, thing for them to do. And they can, oh, you could do this, or you could do this, or you could do this. And you're like, oh my goodness, what are the kids going to do? And realize that um, there's going to be some really garbage things sometimes when you when you when you give kids do that kids are going to go for like the lowest thing oh can i just like you know glue stuff on a piece of paper or just copy stuff onto like a google doc or whatever and and then there's going to some kids once you give them that liberty that are going to do something like unbelievably fantastic because they've been they're just have they've been like wanting to get their creative side out and it's such a fun thing for them and then you can kind of like Make sure that they're getting the content as well when they get caught up in the stuff and go, okay, well, let's make sure how does this address the content and all that kind of stuff. So here's what I've been working on. Uh, some objectivity for us. Oh, Ooh, wow. All right. yeah. Always, always perfect. And so here's what we got. Uh, patience, we got 19 times. Empathy, we got 18 times. And compassion, which are kind of the same thing. All right. To I, interrupt, I Tedesco has just... Um, Shared a like a wordle of all all of the words that cloud a cloud yes yeah not the, um, not, the, not the kind where you get six guesses okay no you can take Sorry. the out of the classroom but you can't take the classroom out of the <laughs> <laughs> which I'm sure a link will be found in the show notes that looks great sure. so yeah I, I just copied and replaced all the, all the responses to see which ones came up the most. Um, yeah, patience, empathy, and compassion came up the most. Uh, flexibility, um, you know, being student focused, sense of humor, and resilience. Um, followed by number eight, be positivity. And then we're kind of getting down in the weeds with the other ones. But I mean, there, there's some interesting stuff that, that came up a, a lot. Um, growth mindset and thick skin, um, not caring about the dress code. <laughs> so, which. Uh- and yeah, I'm going to say the dress code one that was uh, a little interesting. Yeah, there must a, be a backstory. Yeah. Well, also, do you really think it was the teacher's idea to institute one? <laughs> <laughs> what kind of governance do you think this person has over an entire school? Because ain't no way it's one classroom that's going to dress a certain way. So oh my goodness. There are I'm teachers that, sure. that they get really upset about it. And I'm like, oh, my goodness. <laughs> uh, I'm not sure if this is one for debate because I have two two very opposing thoughts about this one. This is from at Ms underscore V O D. And so it's ability, ability to build and maintain relationships to have high expectations for all. And third one is and deep subject specific knowledge. And I go back and forth because on one hand, I think that if you are able to be a good teacher you can teach a lot of things and you don't necessarily need to have a university degree in it. But on the other hand, I think that you don't want someone who is completely, for instance, like we were talking in a previous session, like ignorant of history to be teaching history. And so what do you guys think? I think it has to do with your approach. Um, I think that, you can kind of walk in blind or like have students ask you about something you know nothing about and say, let's explore it and find a way to still like get kids to do the research and understand it, even if you don't have a strong basis for it. Um, but we also know plenty of teachers who say, no, you sit down, shut up, and I'll tell you what the facts are who know nothing. Um, and, and that's where the problem comes in. 
I, I offer to that person who said that, like, can you think of another field where you say the same thing? Like, would you look at a police officer and say, you must have a background in policing? It's like, well, that doesn't work that way. Like, the job is the job. Um, I want the police yeah. to know the law, though. I want my doctor to have a very right. deep understanding of my Absolutely. medical conditions. Yeah, but I mean, but you're pairing, I mean, you're pairing content knowledge with that. And I think it makes sense. But I think when we talk, when we think about teaching, like, there's a skill here about your ability to, to support the growth and development of others. Now, what we're learning now is it's less about imbuing knowledge. Like we're, we're done with this concept that people are coming to us as empty vessels. Like that's just not true anymore. Or at least we rethink differently. So, so what does it mean for people to connect then with the, with what content you're trying to bring to it? I think it's helpful to have the ability to learn. Like I think about people who step into different core subject areas and their ability to pull in ideas from other spaces. Um, you may not have to be a world, a world renowned, you know, scholar of American history. But you hopefully have the ability to to build your knowledge base up. So if you are teaching, say, the Civil War, I'm not expecting you to be, you know, a scholar in this content area. The basics, yes, but where are you going to build that information? I think oftentimes where textbook companies tend to rear their ugly head is the idea of like, <laughs> well, you don't have to have all that. We got that covered. And then suddenly pedagogy is dead because it's the idea of, well, this is my unit. This is what I'm teaching. This is the, And then people fall into this trap. But that's mostly because the support that we offer those folks is is limited. Like we're not as as leaders looking to them and saying, "How do we build it up?" I remember once a teacher uh, took a position as a sixth grade. She she was it's a departmentalized, and one of her areas was social studies. And I, I we were talking about her professional background. She had a writing background. I said, well, "So have you ever taught social studies before?" No. So I'm like, all right, that's a conversation you want to have with your principal at some point. But so we had to talk about like, how do you build that up? And we had to go through different ways to do it. And to her credit, there was a you know there was things she was able to bring into that from the standpoint of of inquiry. It was not about you know facts and figures, which goes to something I think is crucial: is a teacher's ability, a person in that profession's ability to learn, like their ability to learn from their students, but their yeah. also ability to continue to build their their practice. Um, I think that would be the other thing there. But yeah, it's it's an interesting thing because I always think about writing and. Writing is so hard. Like if you're as a person who has not, you know, built sort of your own writing skills, the ability to bring that about in other students or in students in general is difficult. And I do wonder what it is. It's helpful for someone to have a background in, um, you know, to support their ability to to support students in that way. I um I 100% agree that um, you know if you know how to teach, you can teach basically anything. You can always learn it. Uh, because as a, as a special educator, you know, I co-teach all my classes and I've co-taught all the core subjects from sixth grade to 12th grade. I'm not always an expert. Some days I'm, I tell my co-teacher, Hey, why don't you go ahead and take the lead on this lesson? I listen to what they say and then I reteach it. You know, um, I'm, I'm, or I'm looking at YouTube videos the night before the lesson. Um, so I'm definitely not an expert. And I, I've, I teach math primarily now. Um, but I failed every math class from ninth grade on at least once, <laughs> at least once. Um, so I think as long as you know how to, to, to teach, you're okay. And that could go for, um, you know, another good example would be coaching. I know great yep. coaches who never played that specific sport, but they know Ted how Lasso. to teach. Yeah, Ted Lasso. <laughs> yeah. You know, if you know how to teach, you're, you'll, you'll be able to do that. Um, but you know, getting back to what, to that, that list of words, 
and kind of circling back just a little bit, one word I didn't see was vulnerability. And I think I would have put that in, um, especially as we're talking about teaching sense of humor, because I think in order to have that sense of humor in a classroom, you need a level of vulnerability, you know, in order to kind of make fun of yourself um, Mm -hmm. in front of a group of people. I think that is empathy adjacent. Um, and it was all empathy a lot. And I really like that. Um, it makes me feel good about, um, in a weird way, the people that I've connected with on Twitter that I've kind of found because I would say, like, you know, like I said, this is my, I'm going to be going into my 12th year teaching here, um, in, in the fall that, um, pre pandemic, hearing that word as a teacher, it wasn't non-existent, but nowhere would it be like super high like that. Like there would be people like that would, that would, that would, that would say that, you know what I mean? I would say that, you know, classroom management would be like way up there. And, and obviously we, we know that empathy can re- lead you to some classroom management. But I think that the fact that, and that, that wasn't on there at all. Did you notice that, that there was no, no one said, um, or anywhere it wasn't in the top 20 classroom management, which is wild because you would think, you know, when you first hear about teaching, like, oh, it makes a good teacher. Well, they've got to have some classroom management. Um, well, well, classroom management's always. like the outcome. That's like saying the most important thing in a company is profit. Well, I mean, but you got to right. do the things to get to there. Yeah. But I, I kind of want to push back uh, on this idea about vulnerability, though, because I brought this up in a conversation that that Mealy and I had um, when we were recording yesterday. And I said, you know, I, I personally thought, it, you know, it, it's really important. I still do. Um, and, um, the person we were interviewing pointed out, I was like, well, you know, we also have to remember that, uh, you know, I, I rank that very high for my classroom because I'm a straight white male. You know, I, I can afford to kind of be vulnerable and, and be a joke and, and, you know, uh, it gets sort of teased there, but there's a lot of people who aren't in that same position, you know, in, uh, you know, more, uh, in like genuinely vulnerable places, where that might not be a, an option for them or might not be a good outcome for their classroom. That's a really so, good point. Yeah, yeah. I, th- I think that's a great point. Uh, and I also think it, it depends, going back to, um, you know, think about the culture and the people you're, you're teaching and uh, your audience. I wouldn't be able to succeed where I am. I'm one of the few straight white males, you know, at my school. But if I weren't able to poke fun at myself for being a straight white male, you know, I probably wouldn't be as successful. Um, where I am. So I, I think it also depends on, on where you are, but that's a great point. You know, depending if you really are in a vulnerable state, you know, it's something you might not want to, to push forward. And, and maybe that kind of goes back to the with itness that we started talking about, about like knowing like who you are and where you are and what your relationship is to the space that you're in. Something that wasn't there that I think maybe adjacent to some of the other things, but I thought good personal boundaries it mm-hmm. is up there just, you know, not only in issues of like teacher retention, but in, in being a good teacher knowing when, again, when to be vulnerable, when to be empathetic, when to push students, all of those things comes down to, I think, good, good boundaries. Mm-hmm. Knowing when to back off too. Yeah. And tell the kid, hey, I know you're having a bad day, but I'm going to just step back and you come see me if you need something. But otherwise, you just you do you. Yeah. 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 I think I think we all know, uh, you know, 
one or two of those teachers who share so much about their lives, and sometimes it's a little awkward. Oh, oh God, yeah. <laughs> you know, where you're like, you this is not your therapy session. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> there are teachers that are just like yeah, crying in front of the class, and and but like, and that they as a student. But as a student, I love those teachers because I could just ask them two questions and derail the entire class. Yeah. Yeah. I'm like, I don't need to give this presentation till Monday because I'm going to just ask you about something from the news. And that's the day. You know, they're just going to go a complete <laughs> left turn. Oh, they got their running shoes on and they're going. And I'm going to say, I'm not saying you shouldn't cry in front of your class and you shouldn't share stuff like that. But if 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 it's every day, that's what you're doing all class long. You maybe you need to like get like um, extra appointments with your therapist and you know and and work that out before you get into the into the, into the classroom. I think extra appointments with your therapist should be in someone's top three. I don't know why that's. <laughs> <happen. laughs> well, there's always a good teacher. It's always an interesting question I have for for new teachers is like what brings you into this profession? Because um, it's so funny. I people. I mean, you could you can you know, monkey brain that one too. And it's funny because you'll see so many common threads. And sometimes you ask yourself, well, was teaching the only way to do that? Because like to the point about vulnerability and empathy, like you could be in different settings with children where that may be beneficial. Um, But in this particular setting, like, I don't know. I mean, yes, I think there's some part of that yourself that people do have to know because I do think there's trust that needs to be built. Um, But that's not necessarily furthering what, the potential hopeful outcomes, you know, for students are not to mention on the flip side of it, uh, as Tedisco was saying a moment ago, sometimes not necessarily giving complete space to students because you're not, you're not there to solve problems in that way. Not in that entire situation. Cause you're not a therapist. You're not a counselor. You hopefully have people you can you know, bring into that discussion, but at the same time, you're not necessarily just a cold pedagogy pedagogy either. Like that's not your, that's not the need here. But that ability to strike that balance, and there's something here about the role of flexibility in mm-hmm. being an instructor that you have to also encounter too. But I like the idea of self-awareness. You kind of have to know and also know your students. Some people are just not in a space where they want to communicate like any adult. And others really are facing a barrier that you've going to have to find a way. It may not be in this moment, but it may be during a prep, maybe during lunchtime, it may be a time when the student has an activity that they can be stepped out of and connect with you or someone that they should be and the ability to know that. So there's something here about, you know, being able to understand people at an individual level, not necessarily to try to cater specifically to their needs. That's a whole different conversation. But what does it mean to look at a room full of people and to meaningfully have the ability to connect with them, that they feel personally connected to you? And, and I don't know about y'all, but like, do you find yourself being a different person in front of different classes? Like, there oh, are definitely yeah. classes where, like, I'll mm. open up and be a lot more vulnerable in certain groups. And then the next class will be, and I'm like, you sit down? Yeah, Stop fucking the pencil! You have, to, you have to read the room. Hey, so, yeah. so related to that, I'm, I'm going to share something with you guys. And I, it, it, it's really weird. And I, anyway. Amelie's going to share. I know. I know. Let's so all I'm, listen to Amelie. I know. I want, to, I want some, like, constructive criticism and see what you think. Okay, so. The beginning's um, slow. I know. So I teach seniors. I teach seniors who are, a lot of them aren't super academically oriented. And my goal is just to get enough more math in them for me to justify them um, getting across the stage. So I had this student, real sweet young lady. And I, I, and, and, and every time she was there, she tried really hard and she, you know, was more than capable. She wasn't great at math, but she was more than capable. And so kids are working and doing stuff. And, and I'm, um, 
at my desk and she's like, can, can we talk? And I come over, I come over and, and she's like, just me, I need to talk to you about this, but it's not about math. So-and-so who's her friend who had me the prior semester and I had this falling out and now she's not speaking to me. Like, I mean, a lot of drama, you know, like we're, we're bordering on tears here at this point. And so I, and like, so second student, like, gets a pass, comes to my classroom. So I take the two of them out in the hall and get them talking to one another and do a little reflective listening. And it's obvious that this thing is like, I said, hey, would it be better if I just like went back in the classroom and, you know, let you guys like hash this out? And they're like, yes. And so like they literally sat in the hall and worked out their drama and life for the entire rest of the period. I came out and checked on them like occasionally and there were tears and there were hugs and all this kind of stuff. And I don't know how I would explain it to admin if they asked me or justify it or whatever. So like, just give me like your feedback on like how nutty or good or bad or, or off that is. I winced as you're telling it because there were spaces of maybe potentially like permission where if this is not acquired, like this could go horribly wrong. Yeah. Like the girl who's talking yeah. to you, like, where's the space for her to say, hey, it's cool for you to reach out and try to help me? Oh, I, like, I, asked, I asked permission. Oh, okay, correct. Oh, then perfect. Um, yes. Yeah. I asked her, I said, do you want me to facilitate you guys, like, yeah, yeah. talking together and helping you guys work this out? I said, I'm willing to do that. Oh, Go that's ahead. awesome. Okay. Then, that, then that's the biggest qualifier I had is I think, yeah, it's, the takeaway there for those two young women is that, like, there was an opportunity to, to just be able to have a, an honest dialogue. And, like, they are now closer together. Who knows what comes out of it? But like right. the silence is broken as an adult or as a, you know, I think that's a, that's a beautiful thing. I think to admin, I, I, I went to what an admin could, there's different directions on that that an admin could go to. Um, and it's always from sometimes from like a risk management standpoint, mm-hmm. um, which is terrible, but I would commend you for it. I mean, you're considering a relationship you have with another student that you're able to bring into that safe space. Like you create space that was just not existing. Right. Um, the two young women that didn't have that skill set yet to say, Hey, I'm going to be vulnerable with my friend here who were not necessarily friends at this moment and say what I'm feeling and be able to listen to them too. Right. Right. They needed it. They needed a professional. Yeah. <laughs> they needed a grown they, oh, oh, they, did. they definitely did. And I told them, I said, we're not going to solve yeah. it here. I yeah. think like Nick said, the consent piece is really key. You asked permission before reaching out. And then you also gave that student a choice. It wasn't like, Hey, can you come see me? Oh, by the way, you are going to now have this emotional conversation. Right, yeah. Like, I, I, yeah. I, I did you that be willing... and bring someone from, from behind the curtain. <laughs> yes. Um, and I think in terms of professionalism, like you were responding in the moment to the needs of two students who you had an existing relationship with. Yeah. Like if you suddenly became the relationship guru and all the kids were coming to you to mediate their problems. That's when it becomes a problem, but you just stepped in with the tools that you had in that moment to respond to the needs of your students. Right. Right. Yeah. I I totally agree. I mean, it's, it's one of those things that's, uh, that it's a part of, um, it's not in the teacher's description, you know, (laughs) in the job description, but, um, uh, that social skills, right. Um, I mean, it doesn't matter how old they are. You know, adults need social skills too. Right. Uh, 100%. We do that in my school. I mean, all the time. Um, and, and it's, it, in that way, it doesn't escalate. That's usually what we try to do with risk management, yeah. as Nick was saying. Um, 
but it's it's essentially the same thing. You know, students hashing out their problems, coming together and having productive dialogue, um, yeah. even if that's agreeing to disagree and not be friends and how to do that in a healthy manner. Yeah. Uh, but I think that's all a part of what we do as as teachers. And if there's an admin that has a problem with that, um, they need to find something else. To do, <laughs> <Yeah>. uh, <laughs> you know, s- sadly, I mean, we're... You know, since 19, I, I mean, I always go back to 1999, but we're, we're at a time where we're seeing massive violence in schools, you know, most recently. And what I come back to, especially when I read about, um, the, the shooter in Valde, and it's like, this is, it's all over again. It's a person who feels disconnected, who's not able to form relationships, struggles with that with other students. And on the other side, students are struggling forming a relationship with them. There's a lot of stories that people tell had there been an adult to say, Hey, there's some, there's something culturally not clicking here. Yeah. Let's just start talking to people who has that ability, who yeah. knows students from one form or another. I'm not saying it avoids what happens, no. but what it does do for especially teenagers or people in middle school, the space of recognizing like emotionally, there's a lot going on for me right now. Mm-hmm. I'm having a, pl- I'm having someone's helping facilitate a space for me to feel safe, say what I need to say. While also understand, I got to hear that other person too, and I may hear things I don't want to hear. Yeah, I, I agree with Jack. Like this is again falls under this large category, of like outside the job description. But like if we're talking about the growth and development of children, that involves so many different skills right. to bring to bring right. to bear. That if you have that gift, that you happen to have knowledge and context of these kids, and you're able to bring them together, it's a missed opportunity to not do it. Right, and that's that's what I look back as well. You know, like and. And realizing that the two of them will probably remember very, very little of the the math that they learned in my class, regardless, along with all the other students that were in my class, not just the two of them, but the two of them, when they, when they think back on high school, like that, that moment where they sat sat on the floor in the hallway and, and chatted for like, you know, an hour will be something that they go, yeah, that was, that was something that was important. And if admin does raise a... A concern about this or whatever they want to call it. The, the pushback I'm going to offer is, well, what was the, ins- what's the infrastructure in place for this to happen? So right. that I immediately have a way of, you know, yeah. connecting what with should I do instead? Who, exactly. Right. And that's often, there's so much of this in design of schools that we don't take into consideration of these things. Mm-hmm. It's not the core subject. It's not about the room, you know, set up and who goes to what class for what, but these are young people. But, <laughs> you know, yeah. I just want to say that like, I know sometimes we talk about the things about education that aren't great, but I just had this moment of like looking into the screen and being like, oh, I'm talking with educators that truly care, that are working, like Nick, you're working on a systematic level and Jack and Neely, you're like working in the classroom. And if Tedisco was here, I could say the same to him, but like, yeah, I don't know what happened to him. Yeah. It, it, you know, it like, he's going, he's called your administrator is what he's doing. (laughs) Uh, But it warms my heart that this, these are the moments that are happening and these are the thoughts that are happening because it's easy to get caught up, at least for me, in all the things that still need to happen. But it's nice to know that, you know, there's good yeah. teachers. Yeah, I was going to say, and, and part of that is, you know, there's a lot of pieces of that that we kind of talked about, having that empathy, having that patience, and having that vulnerability. But also knowing, like, as a first two, three years I would be so afraid to do any of that for, for 19 different reasons. Think about it this way. What, what if you hadn't, right? right? And then something blew up between them. And that, that happened in my school as well. We, although we do a lot of de-escalation with students, there was an incident 
where uh, there was a known issue between a couple of students. And rather that, than that remediation happening, you know, they got into a fight and, and it blew up. Right. Yeah. And then admin was one of our behinds about that. And um, so they got to pick and choose which, which one would you rather occur? Yeah. Um, but that's something that we have to think about as well as if, you know, the inaction is just as important as the action. Yeah. In a kind of adjacent, uh, one looking at the words, uh, love is written fairly frequently. Oh. And I struggle with that, um, a little bit because on one hand, I think like, yes, there's that kind of universal love, like love for mankind, like a gap I love, but when, to go back to what I said about boundaries, when, when teachers talk about like loving students as if they're their own children, that makes me uncomfortable because they're not, you're in a professional role. Like they, they are not your kids. They are your students. And I'm just wondering how you guys deal with that. Or when students are like, well, don't you love us or that kind of thing. Speaking as a guy with a beard, that's always a tough uh, line for me to walk. <laughs> Cause like I, from the outside, like I want people to like see it from the outside and I don't want it to be creepy, but like you also need to be vulnerable and like show kids some love and, and you know, it, I don't know. It's something I'm very conscious of, but yeah, like I, I show a lot of love to my kids. I wouldn't say I love you. Um, because I that can I love easily you. I be. Say I love you to my, to like, not to individuals, but occasionally to individuals, but mostly to, um, but mostly to my class. I say it like, Mila, you I, say I, I love you to my, to, to your Christmas tree. Like, I do say I love you to my guy. I do love you. Like, guess, you're that yeah. kind of person. Yes. But, oh my goodness. This other student, I don't know if he just <laughs> needed it that day or whatever. Like, and, and just great kid. And like, and told me that the only reason, like, he came to school was to come to my class. And I sound like Aww. I'm like, humble bragging or whatever, but it was, but it was really sweet. But like, you know, he's like, he's like leaving the class. He's like, I love you, Mr. Mealy. I'm like, I love you too. He's like, I love you, Mr. Mealy. I'm like, I love, I love you too. Like, <laughs> I love you, Mr. Mealy. Like, it was like five times. You know what I mean? And I'm like, okay, I love I, you too. I, I have no idea what was going on. You know what I mean? But, but I'm just like, okay. I think, it, I think it also depends on how you phrase it. Right. You know, I, I always say, I've got love for you. Oh yeah. I got love for you. I got love for all y'all, you know? Um, I like and that. Then I always, always tell them we're not friends, but we are friendly. Yes. Right. We can be friendly. You're still the student. Yeah. I'm still the teacher. We can be friendly. We're not friends. There's a line I, there. I do know? say I care about you. And a lot of times I'll also say I'm proud of you, which for some of them is a very big deal, especially coming from Huge like a male deal. presence. Yeah. Yeah. Well, let me ask you this. Is it, is part of it the, the teaching part or is part of it that like, you just have trouble telling people that you love them in general. Me? Yeah. Oh, no. It's very just, oh, I just got real. And I don't know who's asking to, 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 to ask. I don't know, Dad. <laughs> <laughs> no, honestly, that's not it. Like, I'll tell all my friends I love them. Like, I, okay, I have no yeah. problem with it. But it's but, it's specifically about the dynamic of that. Yeah. That like I'm a grown man caring for this child that I have like no legal obligation for, and if the parent was like, "Oh, you said you, I love you to my daughter," okay, like that's that's what's honestly on my mind when I don't really say I love you in the classroom. Yeah. Mine is also about authenticity because I like uh, Jack said, like I have love for my students, but I don't love them. 
the way that I love family or my close friends. And so, um, to me, it would just be like inauthentic the same way that like you guys are great and I love you guys. But at this end of this call, I'm not going to be like, I love you. Yeah. I'm not going to ask you for a kidney. Yeah. But like, but contrary wise though, for some of your kids, you might love them more than most people in their lives. Yes. Like you might be one of the most loving presences that they have in a day. Mm-hmm. So. Yeah. And I'm not saying that I don't demonstrate love and caring. I yeah. think it's about the way that we as a profession talk about love mm-hmm. because you like doctors demonstrate love in, mm-hmm. in the way that we're talking, but we don't, I mean, I'm not on, on med Twitter or at med conferences, but I don't imagine people talking about like how much they love their patients and they wish their patients were their children or whatever it was. Well, that's not a nurturing role though. Like we're nurturers. I guess that's another conversation, you know, whether, whether we are nurturers or like the medical profession, right? It's a science. So that's why they're, they're not supposed to be caring for, you know, family members, you know, or treating family members or friends because they could be biased. And then, you know, um, kind of the same with us. I don't know. There, I, I think that that could be another conversation. Yeah. I, I've, I've folks in my family who are doctors and it's, there's a tricky balance there because you, in one case, one of them is a pediatrician. So there's a sense of patient advocacy, um, recognizing neglect. You know, she particularly works with, uh, she, again, she's in peds, right? So, like That's you see that, job. yeah, and it's and you see those moments where you recognize there's a tre- there's a trend here of of neglect in some cases abuse, um, and in some cases it's a teenager who's who's tried to tried to harm themselves. So, like to be there for that person, yeah, I to the to the people who write love is sort of a descriptor, like what they you know want to see in that profession. I, I ask people to define it. Like, are we talking about like a love language? Or are we talking about you know, genuine care. And for yeah. some, that may not be the word that they think matters the most, but I think it actually does. I think, I mean, love can manifest in different ways, but, and I said before about individuals, uh, like 24, you know, children in a classroom, do they all feel in some form or another that you care about them? And to, to this goes part point, like, yeah, I think that acknowledgement of care sometimes is absent in different places. Uh, and as professionals, when we're, when children are with us, you know, for that length of the day, from, you know, from August till May or whatever, it's a significant amount of time. Mm-hmm. And if that feeling of care is not, is, is not there and it's sometimes hard to be present in the home for a variety of reasons, that's where you can feel, you can just feel disconnected. So I, yeah, I would push back on the concept of love and, and how, how we speak of it. I, I think when I, as you were all talking, I was thinking of students that I've, I've worked with, um, and when I work with teachers, it tends to be like a year long engagement. So I get to know their kids really well and I get to see them grow up and I get to see them move on. I had one recently get back in touch with me. He's now a, he's doing like systems analysis for like somewhere in Buffalo and he reached out to me because he, you know, I tutored him for a little while and stuff. And he's like, I sucked at math. Like, <laughs> and here I am like writing code now and it's because of, you know, what you did. And I'm, I'm like, I, it's Friday night, man. Like, <laughs> <laughs> I wasn't ready for this dose of realism, but it would have never been me saying to the effect, I, I, I love this person, but it's the fact that I care. I see potential. Um, and that may be the other skill too, is like, do you see promise in people? And we talk about this in sports all the time. Athletes who tend to point to coaches, 
who help grow, support their development, it often comes back to like, does this person care enough about me to support my growth and to be able to be, to tell me the things where it's not working and like have the honest discussion with me about what's got to change. So that definition I think works really well. Cause I, I was looking at, um, at Tron Newman, whoever they are, we love them. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> well, we um, about it, them at least. Um, and it was love brackets for all kids, not just easy to teach kids. Mm-hmm. So really we're, we're talking about is care and demonstration of affection and a sense of, of welcome. Yeah. Especially for like the, those troubled kids, like the kids who are, are acting up. Um, it's easy to just hate them, but like if you, <laughs> if you take the time to like really figure them out and, and give them some love, like you can start getting them support Mm-hmm. And maybe not always change things, but I mean, just be right. something. Yeah. And I, I, we got to kind of wrap it up here. I'm just kind of like say like one last thing is that like I I think it's okay to to, to disagree because I I I I no I disagree. <laughs> so, but um, but but I but I but I think we're like not far not far apart. But I just I'm. I can't not tell my students that I love them. I just, I, I, I like, I, I do it organically and it just, it just comes out. And I don't, I don't know. I, I, I do, I do love them. I love but it, them. I, like we we're talking about personality. Like maybe it's mm-hmm. one of those things where you, you can't, it's not something you can teach. You can't make it like a policy that every teacher says that they no. love you too. But to, if they're, te- uh, they're definitely teachers where if they said they love me, I would be very uncomfortable. Yeah. yeah. Um, it's just personality. Like, and, and how we deal. And, you know, I, maybe I show my care to my students more with humor and sarcasm and mm-hmm. you say that you love them. And that's just, that's oh, how I, it works. That's definitely a lot of sarcasm going on. <laughs> well. so, so yes, yes. This episode will not self-destruct in five seconds, but will remain available on your preferred podcasting platform. Lesson Impossible is proud to be one of the many amazing school rubric podcasts. Links to resources or people we mentioned and information in general about the podcast can be found at LessonImpossible.com. If you enjoy the podcast, you can help other listeners discover it by rating and reviewing on iTunes, forwarding it to a colleague, or posting a link in your favorite educational chat. This has been Lesson Impossible, and I was your host, Aviva Levin.